Mommy's Podcast. It's called A Slice of Paradise. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Or, or. Okay, welcome to season, I get this wrong every time, four, episode two, here the second. Um, today, my guest is Kim Olson. What was your maiden name? Wills. Wills. Mm-hmm. Where were you from? I grew up in Mount Pleasant, Dangerfield, northeast Texas. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we my just parents still live there. Drove through all of that. Oh, yeah. Today, yeah, you yesterday, did, whatever. Right, right near there. Um, so, Kim is our guest today, and what we know about Kim is she is an, a teacher. What are you teaching now? I'm teaching ag. Okay. I thought you were still doing yeah. that. Yeah. So she's a teacher here at our uh, local school, and um, she has had a, a very aggressive and valiant battle with cancer, and she's yes. beat it, yes. breast cancer. So we're going to get into that, but first we're going to talk about um, our slice. So tell me what you chose. I chose, I said turkey or chicken pot pie. Either one was good. Yes. And... Um, when I was a kid, my mom is still the master of leftovers, and that's one of the things she would make like after Thanksgiving or uh-huh. Christmas when we'd have a lot of turkey, or <clears throat> even if we just had leftover chicken, or you can buy a chicken from the store, but she would take it and make from scratch pie crust and whatever vegetables we had left. Um, I don't think she ever really used like a recipe. She would just make a pot pie. Yeah. And... It was always so good. I just, I loved it. It was one of my favorite things. And um, we'd take the leftovers and put them in the fridge. And the next day I would eat it again. I'd eat it cold for breakfast. It's and just, it's one of those things that's sometimes better the next day. Yes, yes. A lot of times <clears throat> it is better the next day. So for my birthday, sometimes I would request chicken pot pie the next day. Like the <laughs> two next day, day old. Yeah, two day chicken old chicken pot, pot pie. pie. <clears throat> and um, she would make it for me. So that was kind of one of my birthday meals. And then... This year, after Thanksgiving, um, my husband's uncle, aunt and uncle, gave us their leftover turkey because they were headed out of town. So we had a bunch of turkey. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a pot pie. And I don't remember that I've ever made it myself before. Um, my brother and sister-in-law have made it. I've eaten theirs. But I decided I was going to do it, and I, I did not make the pie crust. I went uh-huh. the Pillsbury route. We didn't either. Yeah. Spoiler so, alert. Right. So <laughs> my mom would make hers. I don't know if she does now. <clears throat> Pillsbury has gotten pretty good at it. Uh, yeah. So I got the pie crust out and made the called her for a few pointers. She just said, make more than you think you need. Of course. <laughs> and so... I just winged it and made pot pie, and it was so good. And everybody ate it the first day, and then I stuck it in the back of the fridge, and I ate it for several more days. So I don't I like know. Like that you stuck got, it in the back of the yeah, fridge, well, like hiding it from everyone. Yes. Well, my husband and my oldest son, who eat the most, are tall, oh. and if you put it in the back, they can't see in there. Genius. Yeah. So you kind of stick it towards the back, and they can't find it. It's like the moms who put like the Reeses yes. in the broccoli package. Right. Like you just you're, yeah, you're not kids, gonna look there. My kids eat broccoli, so that probably wouldn't oh. work. Well, okay. So Mitchell made chicken pot pie. Yes. And, and it was really good. It is very good. He made um, a biscuit 
topped. And, yeah, a, bi- a biscuit topped pot pie, which was delicious. Yes. Um, and then one with the pie crust, nice and flaky. It is so buttery. And it was, yes, and very delicious. I loved it. Yes. I'm going to eat some more. So we're and sending I'll it all home with you. I'll definitely stick the leftovers you. in the back of the fridge. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Three, I right? I have three. Yeah. yeah. I have an older stepdaughter, too. So you're kind of feeding an army. So yes. that's great because Mitchell made enough for an army, yes. as uh, he well, does. Yeah. My boys They're and, gonna and Hattie will inhale this. Yes, they'll eat a lot. Well, I'm so glad. It's It was very good. Thanks, babe. Yes, thank you. Okay. So um, as I mentioned, we do have a cancer fight that we want to get to. But your story uh, doesn't begin there. Um, Easter of last year, 2021... You came to our church, um, First Baptist Bremont, and you shared your testimony, and it wasn't something that you were expecting to share because you just kind of wanted to come and say thank you for y'all's help and prayers and donations and all the things. Right. Um, but it turned out that I think our pastor, or maybe it was Jill, I can't remember, asked you to come share your testimony. Well, what happened was I went to the sunrise service. Oh, at Jill's. At Jill's. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of a hectic Sunday morning as Sunday mornings tend to be. And then if you're trying to get there at sunrise. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly. But, oh, I know. I had just shaved my head the day before. So I my hair was falling out terribly and I had shaved it. So I was very self-conscious. It was my first public appearance. And um, so I was struggling already trying to get there. And I got there kind of late. Actually, we drove up and we didn't see any cars. And... You know, and then might as well leave. And then Jack drove up on the mule and he told us where to go. And really, they kind of lived just across the river from us yeah. almost. So, um, but we still have to drive all the way around. So right. it's a good 15 minute trip or so around there. So Brother Stan had asked while we were there if anyone had anything they wanted to share. Oh, I remember Yeah. This. And it's like when you feel like someone's staring right at you, whether they are yes. or not, mm-hmm. you know, but if you have something on your mind, you can just like feel it. Some so, conviction. but um, I couldn't right then. The morning was already rough and I kept thinking, he's looking at me, <laughs> he's talking to me, but I can't do it. And, um, but then John got up yeah. and spoke and John doesn't usually do stuff like that. And it kind of surprised me. And then it just kind of convicted me even more. So I didn't say anything then. And we went up to the house and I went and talked to Brother Stan and said, hey, I feel like you were looking at me. And he's like, well, I thought you might want to share. And I'm like, no, not today. So I kind of let it go. And then um, it kept sticking with me that I needed to share. And I'll kind of go into some of that, if you don't mind, about sharing my story. Yeah. Okay. So for years, actually, there's been times when you're, like, driving down the road. You're headed – I'll be headed to a school or just doing something. And, you know, there'd be a song on the radio or I'd have something in my head. And I would just, like, hear this, like, God saying, share your story. Mm-hmm. And – um. I'm not really attention seeking, I guess. I don't um I don't mind attention, but I don't want to go looking for it and I don't really feel like there's anything about me that's so special that people want to to hear what I have to say. Right. So, um I just kept hearing that and I would kind of brush it off or say I don't know where, I don't know when, 
to who? Do you just walk up to people and you're like, hey, I've got a story to tell you. Right. And where do I start? Right. And, you know, I'd hear someone going through something similar that I had gone to, um, other things I'd gone through in the past. And I'm like, I should go talk to them. But I also remember when you're going through something, sometimes you don't want people just to come and share. And share. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, okay. So I never quite knew. So... I was thinking about that, and I'm like, maybe this is my chance to go share a little bit. And the people in Bremond, people at the church that we don't even attend that church, had done a lot for us, mm-hmm. and um, I hadn't really said thank you. So that's what I should do is I should just go share a little bit about what's going on and tell everybody thank you, and that'll kind of get this off my chest. <laughs> and then I'll be done. Check yes, box. check. So I'd actually asked Charlotte um, about sharing on a Sunday night. So I work with your sister, yeah, Charlotte, and she said there's just a small group on Sunday nights. That would probably be great. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be like the small, really committed people yeah. that I probably already kind of know anyway. Ten or so. Yes, and I can totally tell those people <laughs> what I've been thinking and that thank you for helping out. And um, so then I text Brother Stan, and his response was that we're not meeting on Sunday nights right now, (laughs) but you could come on a Sunday morning. Great. And, I mean, I I tell him, no, never mind. Yeah. I don't want to say thank you. So I... I said, okay, when would be good? And he's like, next Sunday or something like that. I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was like two weeks later from Easter. So probably just a week after I asked him. So I agreed to do it and then started getting my thoughts together. And so that's how I ended up there that morning sharing my story, which actually, as I prepared for that and I was thinking, and so it was constantly on my mind what I was going to share I hear the voice again. I say the voice, yeah, you know, voice, but I, yeah. I hear his voice because I kept thinking, what am I going to tell them? I mean, I've got notes and all these things and I'm writing it down and I'm like really trying to come up with what is the, what is it I'm supposed to tell everybody? And God said to me, I'm not telling you to share your story. Share my story. Mm-hmm. So the story of what God has done for in me yeah. and in me and through others. And um, it made it so much easier because his story is easy to talk about. Yeah. Um, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's just about how he has worked and all my imperfection and all my running away from him telling me to share Um He was still there. and um, Those are the memorable parts. Yes, and telling me, all I need to do is tell everyone else what he's done for me, and he takes care of the rest. So that's how I ended up there that Sunday morning. (laughs) To make a long story short. Sunday was so inspirational to me, and um, that was probably a week to two weeks before I said yes to God I was going to do this podcast. And I remember telling Mitchell right after the service, if I ever do this, I'm going to interview Kim because that was an incredible story. And you had, you literally told all of us what God had done in your life. And, and it was, it was not only what God has done in your life, but what he can do in yours too. 
And so it was almost a salvation sermon. Yes. And I, I think I shared my story. Yeah, you did. My, you shared part. your salvation yeah. story. And so um, anyway, it just left us, it left me wanting more. It left all of us just very um, self-reflective, I think, of where we are in our lives. Maybe we're not sitting in the midst of huge tragedy like you had been or, or unknown. At that point, you were still having treatments. And yes, it was tragic because you had gotten this diagnosis, but... You had a lot of unknown coming, um, and now we're uh, months later. Um, actually, we have to say this because this is still blowing my mind. So uh, right before we started recording, I asked you, so when was your diagnosis? And you looked at your watch and you said, oh, it was a year ago today, exactly this time or something. Like yeah. That. Like, yeah. Right about this time. Yeah, like, right what? about now. Yeah. What did you say? January 11th. It was actually, yeah, January 11th. Um, we had, you want me to? Yes, go. Yeah. We, um, prior to Christmas break, I was actually, um, had noticed some thyroid nodules or some thyroid swelling. So I actually went to get those checked. And while I was at my, um, general practitioner, we, um, I had had a small place on my right breast that I had noticed, but had just kind of blown off. Not really. Um, I've nursed three kids. I mean, things change over time. So, I was like, while I'm here, would you look at this? And she said the same thing. It's probably nothing. It just kind of feels like normal breast tissue. Um, But while we're doing diagnosis to figure out the thyroid, why don't you go get um, a mammogram as well? And we'll go ahead and do a diagnostic one since you can feel something. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm really not a worrier. So I wasn't really worried about it. I mean, I think about things. I kind of research things. I'm kind of the medical kind of mm-hmm. scientific mind. So I do look things up and I'm not, I try not to be naive about what could be, but I, I don't really worry about it. It wasn't mind consuming my mind. And so I was kind of thinking about the thyroid thing more. Sure. Um, so I scheduled all the appointments over Christmas break. So I go and I get a thyroid ultrasound and I do the mammogram with an ultrasound um, both of them want to co- want me to come do a biopsy. So I schedule a thyroid biopsy and a breast biopsy, I think maybe for the same day, I think. And I just go and I do them and, you know, it's not pleasant, but not right. the end of the world. And it kind of is intriguing to me, the, the medicine behind it. Sure. So I was more just like kind of there for the show, you know, like, oh, this, yeah, yeah, just go ahead, get it done. No big <laughs> deal. Um, and so I did that. I don't remember exactly what day those were. I probably have it written down, but uh, we came back to school and we were in school for a week and maybe a day. And then there was a lot of COVID going around. And so they told us on Monday, I I think, uh, told us on Monday to go home. They had already sent sixth grade home, I think the week before or something like that. So they told us to go home and don't come back this week. I think January 11th was a Tuesday. And we're also cattle ranchers. So when we're home, we're not like just sitting around. So we make the most of it. So the kids and I were actually um, in Rhett's truck that he had bought in October. He wasn't a legal driver yet, but he's driving his truck all over the ranch. So we're out checking cows and he's driving and I'm in the passenger seat, probably, you know, looking at my phone and check it, writing down cows. um, Our calving season is this time of year. Uh So we go out and we drive around and try to figure out who's calved recently and write down what, what they had. And Hattie and Luke are in the back seat 
And then Ryan was doing something else. I think he was at the house or had gone to town. I'm not sure. So we're driving out into the pasture and my phone rang and it says Scott and White, you know, temple. So I answered and a nurse or someone, I don't remember who, says, um, I, you know, asked if it was me and then said, I need to talk to you about the results of your biopsy. And I just kind of had a feeling they don't say I need to talk to you about the results unless they have something to talk about. Because usually if you have my chart, those things just get posted on my chart. If it's nothing, they just pop up and you're like, oh, new test result. And so I told Rhett, um, I need to take this phone call and the signal's bad. Just go ahead and stop. And so I got out of the car because I out of the truck. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, I'll just stay here. Let me finish this phone call real quick. So I get out and I kind of walk away from the truck because I don't want the kids to hear me talking. And she told me that... um, my biopsy had come back positive for cancer. I don't remember if she told me a type mm-hmm. or whatever. And then just says kind of nonchalantly and not nothing against how she handled it. Um, I'm a very matter-of-fact person, so it was probably the best way to handle it. So we need to make you an appointment to see an oncologist or, an, yeah, an oncology surgeon. And I said, okay. And she said, so what time would work good for you? And I'm like, uh, let me look at my calendar. So I sat there and made an appointment on the phone with her right then. Seconds after your diagnosis. Yes, yes. And I'm just like still, my mind's kind of just trying to work this information over. I don't really know what that means at this point. I mean, I know people have had breast cancer and it's just like a small spot and they do a little lumpectomy. And so I don't really know what, what it means. Um... So I'm really trying not to have any kind of reaction mm-hmm. to it other than just factual information. So um, I scheduled the appointment and, or I think I did, um, hung up, got back in the car, and the kids asked, what was that? I said, oh, it was just the doctor's office calling. And they they knew that I had been going for different tests. They didn't know the extent of yeah. it, but they knew I had gone in. And so... Um, I just kind of shrugged it off with them. I wasn't like dishonest, but I just said, oh, they were just calling to talk about some things. No big deal. And I said, okay. So then we proceeded to finish checking calves because I'm not going to rush back to the house or anything or try to alarm them. So we go check that pasture and maybe another pasture or two and then get back to the house. And um, we all went inside and I think Ryan was in the kitchen. I said, hey, Ryan, I need to talk to you outside. Well, Ryan does not like things that are he doesn't like unexpected things. Uh-huh. So he wanted me to say, what is it? And yes. I said, I want to talk to you outside. He goes, what is it? Let me talk to you outside. And he's getting like agitated because uh-huh. I'm not just saying it. And I'm like, I really just want you to come outside. Like trying to like give him, you know, the eyes like. This is serious. Yes. Get your butt outside. Yeah. And he could feel that it was serious, right. which was making him even more anxious. Uh-huh. Like just spit it out. So we go outside and I told him and. His reaction was, um, I don't even know if I can remember exactly, but he was pretty upset. Yeah. And I hadn't even felt upset yet. So I was like, it's okay. Like, it's it's not, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, it's, you know, and at that point, we hadn't even really said cancer. I was just saying it was positive. Mm-hmm. You know, positive for what? <laughs> I wasn't saying. But, um he said, we need to go tell the kids. And 
so I think we went in. I don't know if we did it later, if we did it right then, but we at some point went inside and told the kids to come into the living room and we all kind of sat down together. And of course their looks on their faces were of such concern because why are you making us come in here? And, um, I told them and of course they all just start crying and they crowd around me and they're hugging me and I'm telling everyone it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. And, um, so that day was, I don't, I don't even remember when I called and told the rest of my family. I don't know if it was that day, the next day. I don't know if I waited a week. I, I really yeah. don't remember. It kind of was a this whirlwind. This all makes sense for me, to, for it to be a blur. It also makes sense for me, your initial reaction of like, guys, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Because that's your job as a mom is to yes. make sure everything's kind of smoothed over and all the gaps are filled and everyone sleeps well at night and let's make sure that we're not having bad dreams. And Ryan's job is to make sure everything's taken care of. You know, yes. from like a, a paternal, fatherly figure and a husband and this is not something that he can fix for you right which is very hard I've I've learned over the years of being married it is very hard for our husbands yeah when they can't fix something yes it's um yeah it's very hard for them when they so can't do all that. of this makes perfect yeah. sense to me these raw emotions in the moment mm-hmm. um and the kids emotions too I mean I can't imagine I have heard things about my parents and that's just been like you know, like crushing to me mm-hmm. that, that this is happening or this is coming up. Um, but to know that, I mean, cancer is a word that I think our kids know way earlier than we ever did. Right. As kids. I agree. And it's a word that um, has so much weight with it from such an early age. They know what it is. They know where it can happen. They know how it can happen. And that's basically it to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have a, f- a formula to say this person will get cancer because this person did this thing. It can hit any of us. And they know that early on. My kids know that now. Right. And they're, you know, eight and five. So I, I understand these raw emotions and these feelings. What did the next 24 hours look like for you? Or even further, when you went to the doctor, tell me what that look like so if that was january 11th i couldn't get an appointment for really the timeline between there and surgery it seems like it was so long but when i look at the actual dates from january 11th to february 7th is a very short time so we fit a lot of things into that time so i don't i don't remember the exact kind of timeline but i know um when we first got in, we went first to a, um, oncology surgeon and he, oh, and I, I went and got an MRI before that so they could have a better image. And then we went to the oncology surgeon and, um, he went over all the pictures with me and showed it ended up not being one place, but four, um, all on the right side with possible other places in the left Um, But there hadn't been a biopsy done there, so they couldn't say for certain what that was. So um, he talked about the different surgical options, the different routes you could go. I kind of just decided um, either way it was going to be a right-sided mastectomy because there were four different tumors, and I wasn't very large-chested anyway, so Mm -hmm. you can't really 
remove part of it. And so um, then I could have a biopsy on the left um, and check that. And then even if it came back negative, it would be probably um, every six months going back and getting it checked. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if I went a while without any issues every year. But it was going to be like very... um, rigorous testing and watching for cancer on the other side. And I kind of just opted to just do the bilateral mastectomy and be done. Yeah. And um, it just seemed like an easier way to go. And at that point, all of our discussion was kind of that from the MRI, they thought my lymph nodes looked clear. And so if I went ahead and did the bilateral mastectomy, I may not need to have chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of could be that and done. And so it sounded appealing. Um, but that was kind of all, I mean, a lot of decision making in a short amount of time. Right. And the whole time, actually, I think I stayed fairly level headed. The hardest thing was just telling people. I would, when I would have to tell someone or I would choose to tell someone, I would get really lightheaded and just feel almost sick when I would say it out loud. Now, as long as I wasn't talking about it, I just could kind of go along. Um, Do you think it wasn't the admitting that this is something you have or was it worried about the reaction you would get or the sympathy you would have to receive or... I think some of both. Um, I don't like to upset other people. Mm -hmm. And so it was, some of it was worrying about, like you said, the reaction or like, how is this going to make them feel? Right. Or how are they going to feel towards me if I tell them this? And then it feels attention seeking. Mm -hmm. And I And no one thinks that but you. Right. But, but I think you understand what I mean though. You, it feels like you're out there asking for sympathy. Right. And you're really and not. No, and I'm not, and I really don't want it. So just like slap me on the back and say, "Oh, that's a bummer," and let's great, move pal. on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but instead, it's not that. It's a lot of tears and a lot of hugging and a lot of, "I'm praying for you," and yeah. "Are you okay?" Which is what it should be. Sure. But it um, it that even becomes overwhelming. You felt at like times. you were a burden to people. Yes, and that people were thinking about me. An emotional burden. Yeah, so if you think back to in middle school where you think that everyone is thinking about you, yes. it kind of felt like that. I became very kind of self-conscious of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking down the hall and I'm like, everyone is thinking about me. I don't like it. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't think people think about us as much just like when you tell your I tell my middle school students they're not all thinking about you it's gonna be okay (laughs) but it did feel that way very much I kind of wanted to hide yeah um I would have preferred to have stayed home um I even had the feeling if I could just kind of run away and deal with all this and then come back when it was over it would be I can handle it but I don't really want everybody else to have to handle it. Yeah. So even the people in your four walls. N- right. I mean, if I could just go like hide in a cave, mm-hmm. get it done with, and come back and be like, "Ta-da! I'm free." Yeah. <laughs> and then, sorry, I missed a whole year, but we're all right. good now, you know. So, 
So you that said originally that um, you thought, okay, this could be an easy surgery. They just have a lumpectomy. I'm not sure if that's what I have to have in the pasture. You're thinking right. these things, right, when you're telling Ryan. Um, then it came out that you had decided to have a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. bilateral. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you have all of that in one day? So, yes, the plan was that um, – I. so from there I went and talked to a plastic surgeon – also met with an oncologist to talk about other mm-hmm. treatments and stuff. Um, we made a plan with our plastics, with my plastic surgeon and the surgical oncologist um, that we would do the mastectomy and reconstruction in the same surgery. So I've never really had a ma- I've had C-sections, mm-hmm. but other than that, I've never had a major surgery. Didn't really intend to ever have one. Um, not really keen on the idea. So I really wanted to try to, like, make this sedation sure. and surgery, you know, get all the bang for the buck that I could. And so um, the plan was to go ahead and go straight to implant if it would work. Um, they did tell me that sometimes there's not enough blood flow in the skin, and so they may put in expanders. And then if it didn't look like that was going to work, then I would just have the mastectomy. And when I woke up... That's all that would have happened. Right. And I was prepared for all three scenarios, sure. and I was trusted that the doctors would make the best decision. So we scheduled surgery for February 7th on the way to Temple for the surgery. I got a phone call, and my plastic surgeon and his family had COVID. And um, they said I could reschedule. Or there was another plastic surgeon there that could do it. And I said, just get the other plastic surgeon. Yeah. I'm on my way. I can't drag this out any longer. Like, I've mentally prepared mm-hmm. myself for today. And so we got there and uh, met for the very first time with the other plastic surgeon. He... um pretty much agreed with what the other plastic surgeon had said and was optimistic with me, but realistic. Right. Uh, said probably would end up with expanders, that he going straight to implant didn't s- really seem like something he'd be, he would try. But if it looked like it would work, he would sure. do it. So, um, so yes, so I did that and then had, exp- uh, when I woke up from surgery, I'd had expanders put in. Okay. And I was fine with that. Um, I was in a lot of pain after surgery, so it took a while to get that under control. Um, but other than that, everything in surgery went fine. Um, I had a hematoma on one side. That was, I think, part of the reason I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. They said I had some bleeding and they couldn't figure out where it came from, so they sewed me up, and sure enough, it continued to bleed under the skin. Yeah. And so um, that was fairly painful. I ended up, they wrapped me up super tight to try to get that hematoma to resolve. I think I stayed three nights, which was hard for the kids because they thought I was going to be gone two nights. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was sent home from there. So. so then that was one big surgery. Yes. But all in all, how many surgeries did you have? So I ended up before the, within about a month and a half, I'd had four So the first one was on February 7th, and then um, the hematoma was 
actually resolved the day after I got home from the hospital. It just kind of went away, which was, yeah, it was kind of amazing. And so I had gone back and so when they do the mastectomy, they remove all the breast tissue and then they, um, try to leave as much skin there as they can, but there's no way of knowing exactly where the blood supply to the skin comes from. Or I say there's no way of knowing. I'm sure they could sit there and figure it out. Sure. But your skin is fed from from other vessels in your skin. It's fed from the actual tissue underneath it. There's a lot of ways that the skin mm-hmm. is supplied blood. And um, so it's hard to know exactly what part of the skin is going to be okay and what's not. So when... When I went back for subsequent visits within the week, it was obvious that some of the tissue, some of the skin was not going to survive. Like it was turning black and um, becoming necrotic, which is kind of disturbing to have dead <laughs> tissue on you. But like I said, I'm kind of the sciencey yeah. nerdy. So I just kind of took it all in stride. And, and you listen to true yeah, crime. Right. Yeah. That true crime really prepared me. I was all ready for it. <laughs> Um, I've worked with animals for a long time too, you know, so I could handle it. But, um, I went back and it was on February 23rd. Well, for a few visits before that, I was going like every other day to the doctor and the surgeon that ended up doing my plastic surgery, I'm, it was a God thing. He's just such a great guy. And, uh, he would just have this look on his face of just pure, like puzzlement and thought when he would look and I'm like, Oh my goodness. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And he just looked so, like I said, so puzzled, like he'd never seen anything like this before, which he said he had, but I was just like, he doesn't even know what to do. This is awful. (laughs) So he said, you know, we could schedule another surgery, but I need to, I need to remove that necrotic tissue um we could schedule the OR and we'll put you under he said but during COVID I kind of learned how to do this procedure in my office because it was so hard to get an operating room during COVID that he had like a little surgery room there where he would just do the surgery in his office if I was willing you're awake Oh, totally awake, totally aware. Now that whole area is numb, so mm-hmm. you don't have a pain sensation. You can feel pressure sure. and everything. But I said, okay, go for it. So back in the cattle shoot. Yes, back there, <laughs> laying on the table. Well, I mean, I, you're still very aware of what's going on. Scissors and scalpels and cutting on you while yeah. you're while you're there. And I could sometimes see like the reflection and the big light uh-huh. above the table. And I'd be like, oh, don't watch. Don't look. <laughs> so um, I had a bunch of necrotic tissue removed. And then after surgery, everything was stitched up all nice and neat sure. and everything. After these, um, he needed to let it drain. So the stitching was not so pretty not so great. And then, but we did it. It was fine. I'm still wearing an ACE wrap. Um, and then on, so after that was March 23rd, it was a Sunday, March 27th. So four days later, or maybe it was the Saturday when it kind of started, I was having a lot of swelling and pain again. Um, on my right side and 
just felt like something was kind of off. So Sunday morning, I called like the 800 number or the the plastic surgeon mm-hmm. on call right. and left a message. Like at seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. And I didn't hear back and didn't hear back and didn't hear back. That's awful. Yes. And so finally, it was probably almost seven o'clock that evening when they called back. And they were super apologetic. They'd been really busy with emergencies all day long. And um, I had sent pictures through my chart of what it looked like. And so the girl that I talked to, um, she was a plastic surgeon intern. Mm -hmm. She said, I really think you should come in. At least let me look at it. Just come to the ER and we'll look at it. And um, you better just go ahead and bring a bag with you with some stuff in case we decide for you to stay. So I went, checked into the ER. Again, people's faces just tell so much. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. So it's about midnight when they finally say, hey, we're going to admit you. You've got an infection and we really need to treat it IV. And so it's a Sunday. We have school the next day. Ryan drives a bus. I'm not going to school anyway, but the kids do, and and he does. And we left the kids at home by themselves, which at this point, they're big enough. They can get ready for bed and go to bed. And so Ryan's sitting there in the ER. You know, I'm waiting for a room, and I just told him to go ahead and go home. And, of course, he wants to fix it. No, I need to stay, make sure. Mm I said, just go home, go home and get some sleep. It's not going to make a difference if you're yeah. here or not. I'm already here. I'm in the building. Yeah, no, you can't. And they'll take care of me. So I was in the hospital from um, the 27th till March 2nd um, on IV antibiotics. And um, unfortunately, they gave me hives from head to toe. Oh. which was miserable. So then they were having to pre-treat me with like Benadryl before I could take take that. And um, also while I was there, they had nursing students that would come in and um, do little exams and stuff because apparently I was like on the geriatric ward and I was like the only like lucid, (laughs) lucid patient. So the nursing (laughs) students are fighting over talking to me (laughs) because no, no one else knew where they were or what was going on. (laughs) So but anyway, while I was there, I went ahead and had another surgery where they removed the expander and cleaned up the infection and removed more tissue. So um, that was surgery three. And then about a week or so later, the left side started going down the same route. The tissue had become necrotic over time and had actually like bust open. So we just went ahead and skipped all the trying to save the expander thing. And I had a third, one, two, yeah, a third, fourth, I guess that was the fourth surgery to have um, that expander removed and everything and, and took some antibiotics just orally to make sure that cleared up. And then on the 24th, um, so in the meantime, through all that, they've sent the tumors off for testing, and they do a thing called oncotype testing. I don't understand it. I've read up on it, but it's actually like testing the genetics of the tumor. Okay. And they rate it on how likely it is to reoccur. And if it was 16 or less, I didn't need chemo. And mine came back a 40. So I did, at that time, so during all that, we decided we need to do chemo as well. And so on March 24th, I had another surgery, which Jill actually took me to this one. And um, because 
my poor husband's missed work for everything. Sure. So Jill took me and I had a, I guess that was the fifth one then on March 24th to have the port put in. And then, yeah, so it was a whirlwind, a lot of um, in and out of the doctor's offices. Yeah, this is totally off topic, but what ended up happening with the swollen um, thyroid? Oh, so the thyroid, well, that's just old news, but um, I do have thyroid nodules. So the biopsy came back inconclusive at first or like suspect. Yeah. So I had a second one during all this. I had a second biopsy on that, and it came back clear. They did another type of testing. And so I'm just going back like once a year to have it okay. checked. So I do have thyroid nodules. You can kind of see them on my neck. No, I can't. But, but they're not um, – my thyroid's functioning fine. So I honestly think that the thyroid nodules were there so that I would go to the yeah, doctor. Because absolutely. I don't go to the doctor. And I had noticed that spot on my breast for a while. And so – it was like I'm going for the thyroid because it's obvious. And this. Yes, and it was an afterthought wow. to mention that. So yeah, so so we are now a year out from diagnosis day. Yes, literally. Yes, it's still blowing my mind. Um, what does your life look like now? You went through how many weeks of chemo? I did four chemo treatments, so I went every three weeks for four treatments. So that's. I can't do that math right now. Whatever. Anyway, I started chemo on the 31st of March, and my last treatment was June 2nd. Okay. And did you have to do radiation? I did not have to do radiation since I'd had the bilateral mastectomy. Okay. There's nothing that there to sense. radiate. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Okay. Um, and so now you're several months out. You're a month, mm-hmm. a year out from the original diagnosis. You mentioned before we started recording that you're on the five-year plan. Tell me what that looks like. Right. So... Um, the type of cancer that I have was estrogen positive. So they test for, again, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't understand all of it, uh-huh. but there's like progesterone positive, estrogen posti- positive. There's the different genes you can have. So mine was estrogen positive, like 95%. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't, that means the the tumors feed off of estrogen. So that's what causes them to grow. So I'm on estrogen blockers so basically forces you like into menopause like Mm -hmm. overnight which yes it's just been so much fun yes so from what I understand about menopause it's usually kind of gradual not fun I've never heard anyone sing its praises but it's a gradual thing and this is just like boom so chemo kind of starts you on that journey anyway Uh because it throws everything off but then I go every four weeks and they put um, an implant like in my belly fat, which hurts like the dickens. And I have to psych myself up to go because uh-huh. I'm just kind of over being hurt. Sure. You know, um, but potted. being cattle people, <laughs> I've taken each of my kids with me to this. And all three of them are like, oh, my goodness, mom, that's like what we put in the cows. <laughs> like, did you look at the needle? I'm like, no, I I didn't, and I'm not going to, but apparently it's a nice big needle. That's awesome. And it's an implant. So they stick that in there. I go every month for that, and then I take um, a daily estrogen blocker. So, um, and it's supposed to be for five years. And I, at, at this moment, I am really struggling with that because I don't see myself surviving five years. <laughs> not oh, literally, yes. but 
Yeah, it's it's hard. Of the every four weeks right. and the pill every day. I think chemo was really hard on my body. It was tough on a daily basis, but it had a definite end date. Yeah. And I knew when it was coming. And so um, five years is just a long time. And it's hard to think of um, dealing with some of these side effects for that long. Yeah. And uh, it... It's a bit discouraging sometimes. I, I feel like I've gone back a few, taken a few steps back uh-huh. <laughs> a few times in how I feel about this whole thing. Yeah. So I tend to try to stay optimistic, but every once in a while I just am over it. At this point, at this point on this day, a year mm-hmm. out, looking back at five surgeries, looking back at diagnosis day, looking back at effects it had on your family, your kids, your friends, your community... Um, looking back at physical effects it had on you, side effects you're having today, and the five-year plan feelings that you're having today, what would you consider would be the hardest part of this year-long journey? I think the hardest part for me is the impact that it has had on on my family. Not not that it's been negative, because I can talk about a lot of positives, Mm -hmm. too. But just watching my kids and my husband go through that. Um, and even just sometimes the way that I've treated them through this. I feel like they've treated me very well. And sometimes I haven't been very nice Come back. On. Yeah. Because it, it's a struggle. Um I've really um, come to understand what people that deal with like chronic pain and chronic issues, why sometimes they're not in the best mood. Yeah. And um so I think that's just the hardest, just the longevity of it, just the the constant day in and day out. It doesn't it doesn't go away. It doesn't just constant reminders. Yes, it it doesn't let up. Um, so that that's the hardest. It's just the so the tell day me in a little bit about the goodness that has come from it. So the good things that have come from this, um, I think it has brought us together and so close in a way that we haven't before. Um, Ryan and I have just really had to cling to each other. Um, I've had to cling to him so much and rely on him. I'm a very independent person. Mm -hmm. Um, Not always the easiest person to be married to for that reason, Mm -hmm. because I don't always need someone to do it for me. I think I told the story at church how my mom says my first sentence was, I do it my boo self. (laughs) And I have forever, and I tend to sometimes avoid asking for help when I need it. And sometimes I think I've even made a point to to let my husband know I don't need him to do right. that for me, right? Yeah. And um, I have needed him. I've needed him so much, and I've had to lean on him. Like, I felt... Even before surgery, but after diagnosis, I just remember sitting on the couch and like sinking kind of into him in a way that I don't think I ever had before. Right. Like just feeling myself being supported by him. And um, so learning to do that, learning to just like let go and let my husband, yeah. you know. Step in. Um, yeah. And, and feel that for me and to be there for me. And um, then for my kids, the positives that's come from it is... Um, They've had to just, in some ways, become so much more responsible than they were before. I have good kids. They're hard workers. They have always been hard workers. 
but they've learned to just really step up. And I've seen them, I mean, I came in today and Hattie's folding clothes and they do the dishes and they do things um, more, um, they're quicker to do things without being asked. They're looking at Yes, they they notice things. And they're always checking on me. (laughs) Mama, are you okay? Are you okay? I was working out the other day and every time I would kind of groan, you know, like, oh, they're like, Mama, are you okay? I'm like, yes, (laughs) this is supposed to be difficult. (laughs) You know, where I'm trying to balance on one foot doing some yoga stuff and Hattie's like, don't fall. (laughs) I won't, you know. So they become, I've just really seen them grow in even their faith and then even their just, they've just grown up Mm -hmm. so much. Yeah. And some of it I would prefer they didn't have to. Sure. But it's good It's good for our kids to learn um, how to handle hard stuff. Yeah. That and sometimes tragedy happens. Right. And to learn when it's good to step up and to take over and, and do things for me. Yeah. I, I do a lot of things for them. I do most of the laundry and the cooking and the dishes. And they've had to figure it out. Another good thing is I've had to let them figure it out. Yeah. And I've had to be okay with how it's done. Yeah. And the um, ways the towel the towels are yes. folded really doesn't matter. Right. And the dishwasher <laughs> loaded, it'll it'll work out. It's it's made me a lot more patient with them. Yeah. And a few times the dishes the dishwasher's been run and obviously there was no soap put in it. We're used to that might have really kind of upset me. Now I'm like, hey y'all come here, look. This is how this is done. We got to put the soap in. Thank y'all for doing the dishes. I appreciate it. But you've got to put the soap in. (laughs) And so it's made me slow down and kind of reflect on those things and handle them, handle situations like that differently. Sure. And let the kids just do their thing. How has this changed your walk and your faith? That's kind of a big one. I feel like um, I've been a Christian basically my whole life. And I've had, you know, times where I was, you know, really into the Bible and really into my prayer and times when I've gone months without really even paying much attention to um, to what God's trying to tell me or what's going on. So I think this has really made me just step back and reflect on who really is in control yeah. and that it's not... Um, what we think we need, but what God thinks that we need. And sometimes we need, maybe not a tragedy, but we need, we need something big to Mm -hmm. get our attention and, um, to make us slow down and look towards him. And so it has done that. It's made me slow down. It's made me take time to read my Bible which I'm always too busy to do and had been. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time at home by myself during recovery. And I had time to fill. And I spent a lot more time in my Bible, a lot more time in prayer. And it has also just really um, opened my eyes to how many people are out there that pray for each other. I mean, I think we say a lot, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. And it's not that we don't mean it. Sure. But it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of, we live in a Bible belt area, you know, we pray for everybody for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
So we meet, have good intentions when we say it. That's right. But I felt the prayer in a way I've never felt prayer before. I think I could be, someone would um, text me and it would be like a verse that spoke to exactly the moment I was having. Wow. And um, I wish I could tell you exactly what they were right now, but it would just, it was so eye-opening to me that God was paying attention, that he knew what I needed right then. It's made me take the time not only to pray for the person I'd say that I'd pray for, but to send him a text yeah. and say, I thought of you right now, today. right now at this moment. Because I think so many times those text messages came through for me at the exact moment that right. I needed it. Not not a minute earlier when I was fine, you know, and not a minute later when I would have been too far down to feel yeah. like I could get up, but like it would hit me right at the right moment. And, um, so I try to do that. Like if I think of someone, I just send that text. That hey, is so huge Thoughts and prayers. Because you started this out and you said, I didn't want to be a, an emotional burden to people. Mm-hmm. And then whenever someone would reach out to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Here's a verse. I hope this helps you. And it did in that moment. And you said, God was thinking about me. Because you're, you weren't a burden to anyone. Mm-mm. I mean, God was speaking to that person to speak to you. And God was speaking to you directly about your situation. And I can often get in that mindset, too, where it's like, I, my problems are so minuscule compared mm-hmm. to other people's problems. And there are how many billions and billions and billions of people on this earth, you know. So God's not paying attention to me. He's not thinking of me. He's not watching out for me. I'm not that valuable. Mm-hmm. And... That just goes to show you that you are. Like, we all right. are. Every moment is seen and every everything is fretted over or the battle's already been won or he's already figured it all out. And, and we're fretting over it for each other. But sometimes God's talking to us about just a verse to send to somebody that's inspirational and turns out to be perfect for the moment. Right. So I think that's awesome that you had that revelation and you can you can say, yeah, I am valuable enough and I'm not a burden, you know, it, it, that is very true. Um, I think often, just like you said, we, we don't think that whatever we're dealing with is a big enough deal for other people to know about Mm -hmm. or for even God to worry about. But one thing I have realized in this and in other things I've been through is everyone is going through something. Yeah. It might be, that you stubbed your toe and it's distracting you from getting through your day. Yeah. It could be that, you know, your spouse just passed away. And we don't know that when we're working, walking through the grocery store. Right. We don't know what just happened to that person. You know, it, I mean, if you ever just like try to get the change out of your coin purse and it pours everywhere. Yeah. And that in that moment is so frustrating. And you're in the checkout line. Yes. People are waiting behind you. Yes. And in that moment, that's a really big deal to you. So sometimes even the things that we would say are small in that moment are big. Yeah. And sometimes the things that we think are big are really not that big. And it kind of puts that in perspective um, when I'm walking through the store or when I'm in a restaurant or when I'm driving down the road 
and someone does something that seems off color or off putting, I have really, I think I've gotten good at it. I like to think that I have, but I think, you know, what is that person going through today? Mm. You know, what is, what is this day to them? Is it the anniversary of like the worst thing that ever happened to them? Yeah. You know, did, what happened to them today or the moment before? Maybe it was just their change or like this morning I'm driving to the doctor's office and I cough while I'm drinking coffee and spewed coffee, I mean, out my tear ducts, no. you know, while I'm driving down the road, you know. And so I, for a second, I'm like a crazy driver trying to get pulled over. And I could have ticked off several people. Fortunately, there weren't many people around. Right. But you don't know when that crazy driver might have just sprayed coffee out there. Out their eyeballs. Yeah, right. So I try really hard when someone's not, doesn't seem like they're in the right mood yeah. to think, think long and hard about how I react to them. I've gotten to tell a couple people in the last few weeks um, how important grace is to me and this Mm -hmm. podcast specifically. That was what God laid on my heart from the very beginning, that I firmly believe that grace will be what changes the world. Because you're right, everyone is going through something, and we don't know what that something is, and we don't know what the day has held when we see them, Mm -hmm. and they're off-putting, or they say some colorful remark to us. But it is so important to have grace to know, yes, this is what this person has been through. And that's why I'm asking people like you to come on and share your story because not that you're ever going to be off-putting oh, or I make will colorful be. remarks. <laughs> I have my days. But I, I, it has been such a good reminder to me to have grace for the people around me and for the people around me to have grace for the people around them. And, you know, you're, you may not be in the midst of tragedy right now, which is where we, this goes back to the very beginning of this interview. You may not be in the midst of tragedy right now, and maybe you haven't ever experienced tragedy, but you can have grace for the people who have and who are because you have gotten really vulnerable with them or you've listened to an interview where they've gotten really vulnerable with someone else. Um, And so that's huge for me for, for to just have connection with people. I think that and also not to discount what you're going through, whatever it may be, because we do tend to discount what we're going through and God cares if he cares about the sparrow yeah. and whether or not they have food for the winter. Mm-hmm. He cares about you and he cares about your spilt change and he cares about your cancer yeah. and he cares about whatever it is. He cares and he's there in all those moments for us. Yeah. So don't discount. That's so good. Your moment. Okay. Well, um, I just want to thank you for coming on. I know you have already said a lot of this at the church and never really thought you were going to share it again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were going over your notes before we started and your dates ended literally like to the day of (laughs) when you shared that at church and you were like, yep, closing this book up and not using it again. (laughs) But Kara just, you know, had to get you on. So it's, it's so special to me that this is a year out. Um, that today you can kind of reflect and you were on the way to the doctor this morning a, a year out, I'm sure, mm-hmm. for some of the same things. But mm-hmm. um, to just reflect on the last year about how far you've come and where you are currently and what the next five years, like you said, looks like. Um, so I'm just thankful and blessed that you chose to do it with me, that you agreed to do this. Yes. It was been, it's been great. So thank you.